So we're in John 8, 31. Sunday, we talked about Cain and Abel, and um, we talked about decisions and how the lie that Satan gives, uh, as Satan's compared to the snake, the serpent, who crouches at Cain's door, uh, Cain is kind of presented with a decision. But the lie that Satan tells him, the lie the serpent gives, is that he doesn't have a decision, that he's too far gone, that he's too evil, that he, he can't turn back. And even as God himself intervenes, Cain feels like he cannot reach out. Uh, and instead, he commits one of the worst sins you can think of. He kills his brother. And then he not only kills his brother, he tries to hide it. And then he complains about the punishment. Um, and I talked Sunday about how I love Cain and Abel. I feel like everything in the world is kind of related to Cain and Abel. It's rejection. It's fear. It's how we deal with sin. It's acceptance. It's, it's all that. We talked about it all Sunday. If you missed it, go listen to the, listen to the sermon online. But one of the things I wanted to talk about more practically is the nature of this decision-making. Because the truth is, is that we have a choice. But what's interesting is that I think most of the time we fail to make the right choice. Most of the time we are Cain. We're not, uh, I guess you'd say Abel, but we're not what Cain could have been had he simply reached out and done the right thing. Um, you know, most of the religions, I think all the religions in the world pretty much had the same ethical call. You know, don't murder, don't hurt, don't put down people, don't uh, commit adultery. Uh, marriage is very much the fabric of most religions. Uh, purity. Uh, they're all kind of generally similar. So if the whole world agrees on what we all should do, yet we continue to not do it, and we all realize that the problems of the world are because we're not doing it, there's something going on there. There's something deeper in our hearts that we got to take a really good look at because I think that even though we have a choice, we've got to realize, too, that we are all slaves to sin. And even as I say that, some of you might be thinking, I don't know if I am. Some of you might be thinking, well, I used to be, but I'm not anymore. You're, you're kind of wrestling. Even as I say it now, you're wrestling in that chair of slavery. What does he mean? I don't feel like I'm a slave. In fact, the first thing that the folks do here after Jesus says, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they immediately say in verse 33, we are Abraham's descendants and have not been a slave to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So what's interesting is that these, it's a very interesting situation. It says the Jews who believe him. But Jesus doesn't stop there with them. They had belief, which most times for John is pretty all-encompassing. It's this idea of trust. But it seems like these people believe, but they're not fully there yet with Jesus. They don't have a far, the far-reaching arm of grounded trust. They just they believe in Jesus, but they're, they're kind of removed. And that's a very dangerous place to be spiritually. Because you're not alarmed by your condition. You're like, I'm fine, but you're not actually where you should be in terms from Jesus's perspective. And Jesus gives this great statement that's on the, etched into the side of most law buildings. The truth shall set you free, um, right? Uh, I think Ohio State has, that, has a big etched in the side of their law building, um, which I've seen. But what are they really getting? What's Jesus really getting at? And their first response is, we're not, so we haven't been slaves to anyone. They're not very good Jews because they haven't brushed up on their history. 
Perhaps they forgot about the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Chaldeans and the Persians. And by the way, the Romans now. Maybe it's not slaves, but they're your overlords. They make you pay taxes and they beat you. I think that's close enough, right? But it's interesting how they can't even really, we're not slaves to anybody, right? They can't even, and there's a part of being enslaved where we kind of lose touch with reality. And that's a very scary place to be as well. One question I want to ask tonight is, are you, are you a slave to sin? The title of my lesson is Slaves to Sin. Are you a slave? You know, slavery is a really interesting thing. Here in the passage, Jesus tries to help them see, listen, you've got you to gotta hold to my teachings. This is a tricky passage. I was actually struggling, this with, struggling with this passage myself. I think I used to teach this passage wrong. Like recently, I used to teach it wrong. I used to teach this passage as a conditional statement. If you hold to my teachings, then you're a disciple. Um, but Jesus doesn't say, if you hold to my teachings, then you will be a disciple. He says, if you hold to my teachings, then you are a disciple. So Jesus is talking, he's not talking about, all right, everyone wants to go be a disciple, so go hold to his teachings. I think I used to teach it that way. Jesus is saying an indicator of being a disciple will be that you hold to his teachings, that you abide to his teaching. You know how you can tell if somebody's holding to my, or if someone's a disciple, if they're holding to my teachings, if they're abiding in my word. I think it's a very subtle difference, but it's an important one because one puts the um, impetus on you to go make it happen. The other is a realization of how incredible Jesus is. uh, And then because of your love for him and who he is, of course you want to abide in his word. So it's a subtle difference, but it's an important one. And Jesus begins to explain, you guys believe, but you don't hold on to my teachings. You don't abide. I share this a lot in Bible studies. The word here, abide, is actually live. You don't live in my teachings. And uh, I think it's interesting. I, I use this analogy. I think it's pretty ridiculous, but I think it gets the point across. That like when you live somewhere, you know the place. Like we were over at the, um, the Schaefer's for uh, our, our Bible talk recently. It would be quite ridiculous if I said... Hey, Will, can I use your restroom? And Will said, don't know where it is. You got me. And I would say, don't you live here? And he would say, yeah, but don't, don't know where the bathroom is. I'm sorry, man. I can't help you. Or if I said something like, hey, I brought some food. Can I put it in the oven? And Lindsay goes, the oven? Ah, I knew you'd ask. I don't know where it is. You know, I, we, don't, we don't go in the kitchen. You know, it's pretty, uh, which is definitely not true, but which is uh, great cooks. But it'd be ridiculous, right? But sometimes we do the same thing with the Bible. I'm a Christian. What does this say? I don't know about that. I don't know what it says. I don't know what the Bible says. I don't know what Jesus said. I don't know what his words are, but I'm a Christian. We kind of go, oh, okay. So in fact, recently, we, we, I think I had another conversation with a guy who had a problem with heaven and hell. And he said, um, he said, Drew, I just can't believe that, that God would send people to hell. And I said, do you have a problem with the criminal justice system? Like if somebody commits a crime that they should go to prison? He goes, I have no problem with that. I said, why? He goes, because they deserve it. I said, okay. So if you have a problem with the premise of doing wrong and then getting punished, what's your problem with the premise of doing wrong and then getting punished in regard to hell? And he goes, well, I just don't believe it's fair that you could be an evil person and at the end of your life say you believe and then just go automatically to heaven. So we kind of got to the real, the real problem. And I said, do you think that's what it means to go to heaven? Do you just say you believe? And he's like, yeah, I think that's what it means to go to heaven. I said, well, I'd love to talk more about that because I don't think that's a biblical perspective of what it means to be able to uh, merit entrance into heaven. But I think it's an interesting thing that for this idea of belief, sometimes as Christians, we get in a very dangerous spot 
And we all can then be slaves to sin, but not see it because we believe or we come to church or we're Christian. And Jesus is trying to wake them up. To the Jews who believed in him, he said, you're all doing great. Just hang in there and then no more, no more effort. No, he says to the Jews who believe in me, that's awesome. But you got to hold on to my teachings. You got to hold on. You got to live in my teachings. And then that's actually an indicator that you are really a disciple. If you're, if you're really a disciple, you will live in my teachings. And then you'll actually know the truth. And that truth will set you free. Freedom. Who doesn't love freedom? We're a country built on it, based on it, right? Freedom. We have a, several holidays commemorating that freedom. Freedom. But then a lot of times we had the same response that the Pharisees did. Slave? What are you talking about, slave? I'm not a slave. I'm in control. I am the master of my own destiny. I am the captain of my own vessel. I am in charge. I'm in control. I do and I don't do what I want when I want to do it. But Jesus tries to help us see, listen, we are all, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And there's two points. I think, I think what he's talking about there is if you have to live a life of sin, you're addicted to sin. But I think there's truth to the fact that every time one of us sins, every time you sin, you, it's an, it's an, you're addicted. So whenever you sin, you're giving power to that thing. So sin is basically this idea of, um, you talk about addiction or, or this, this, this cycle of addiction. And a lot of uh, therapists, counseling, uh, a lot of the 12-step programs will corroborate this. But it's this idea that when you face distress in your life, you turn uh, to some kind of substance, some kind of agent to provide freedom, to provide relief, to provide transcendence, right? And that's every sin. And we go through all of it. You're in the road. You're cut off by another driver. You are distressed so you think you'll, you'll be able to feel better if you cuss them out or if you yell or if you pull the car over and try to get in an altercation with them. You're sinning because you think that's actually going to provide this. this you're going to feel better. And the, the, the tragedy of that is every time we give into a sin, that sin strengthens that um, desire and it withers kind of where it's coming from. Every time we sin physically, uh, our, our physical body withers. Every time we sin emotionally, our emotions wither. Every time we sin in our willpower, in our soul, that, that withers. And so what happens, the, the problem with that is when we sin a bunch, we, we, we gain what's called the tolerance effect. Right. You have a high tolerance for the sin because you've done it so much that you go, eh, I mean, it's not so bad. Or I'm not, I, I only do it sometimes or it's only, I've gotten better or... But there's, because you're so, and so really we have two, spots to the, two responses to the question, are you a slave? One is just this idea of tolerance of we're just so worn down by the sin that we just, we can't even really see it for what it is. We don't have a sensitivity to it because we've just, we've, we've, it's become a, a language for us, a lifestyle. And that's anything. That's sexual sin. That's anger. That's how we talk to each other. Uh, bitterness, bitterness can become just, just so it's just how you respond to distress. It's just to put somebody else down uh, to blame. Blame can be. And so any, but it's not just those obvious things either. We can also turn to the good things, the good things, things that are quite good to be able to provide this transcendence, your marriage, your spouse. You can, you come to your spouse and say, oh, I'm distressed. Oh, a good thing I have you, sweetie. Good thing I have you. I could, I couldn't live without you. Right. I mean, you're, we come into the spouse like, you are that for me. 
We do it with a job. But the problem is with all these things, they all fade. You ever had a, a new job and you're like, yes, you have that, that rush of having a new job. And you're like, yes. And then a few months in, you're like, I got to get a new job. Or you're like, I, or, or, or you think, oh, my coworkers are horrible. It always fades, right? It always fades. In marriage, it fades. You have that honeymoon phase of like, yeah, she's incredible. And then six months in, you're like, her breast really smells. And, you know, it's just she, he, uh, he doesn't shower that much. And he, he doesn't help around the house. Or she, she's constantly uh, being critical or passive aggressive. Or, and you go, hold on, six months ago. So all, but, all, but all those things, if we turn to them for this, this promise of freedom, they all fade. And we, we think we got to go again to something else. And what we actually have in our whole life is this big circle of sin. Our whole life is looking to something for freedom, not finding it, building a tolerance, and then having to increase the dosage. Oh, this, my first wife didn't, wasn't enough, so I got to go, second wife's going to be this much better. Or the first time I look at uh, porn, the second time I got to go more hardcore. Or the second, first time, I, and so it's just, it's just kind of this whole thing, or it's a response. And when you get hurt by somebody else and, the whole, your whole life is just a, a sin cycle. And I think it can be good things as well. And Jesus is trying to help people see, help us see. It's not just the obvious sins either. That if you have God on the periphery of your life, if you have God kind of in view, but he's not the number one thing, you are a slave to sin as well. And that's a little bit harder to see sometimes. I think uh, someone shared it recently. When people come up in front of the church to share, sometimes they share kind of some, some similar things, usually sexual sin because it's just obvious. But there are other sins that are harder to see that are just as, as horrifying. But I think we don't see them because we, we have really hard hearts. We're just, we've, our hearts have been worn down by so much sin. We don't, we don't talk about those things like with, with a soft heart like we should. So one option is we've just built up a tolerance to our sin and we go, eh, Right? Um, the other thing that we can do if, we, if we're asked if we're, oh, are you a slave to sin, we go, you know what, Drew, I'm actually, I don't face much conflict. I'm pretty much in control of things I want to do when I want to do it. Now, the challenge I would say to you there is on Sunday, we talked about Romans 7. I mentioned I showed it up on the screen. Romans chapter 7, Paul says, you know, I do what I don't want to do. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. What a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this existence? Paul is basically saying every time I want to do good, evil's right there with me. So what's Paul saying? Paul's saying if you, you have to actually be trying yeah. to face conflict. Yeah, that's it. If you think you're in control, yeah. you're not perhaps really trying. You're not really going for it. You're not really trying to do the good you ought to do. Because anybody who strives to do good will face conflict. You don't believe me? All right, so for the next 12 hours, everybody, go live out the golden rule. Anything you, would, anything you would want done to you, do to somebody else. Every time somebody else has something good happen in their life, you have the same jubilation, the same joy as you would for yourself. Every time somebody else, something good happens to them, you do exactly what you would have done to you with everybody in this room and all your neighbors and all your coworkers for the next 12 hours, go. It would take probably hours, probably minutes before you realize this is really difficult and I cannot do this. Because when you start to really try to live it out, you realize that, oh, wow, there's conflict here. The sin crouches at my door and it desires to have me. I think sometimes when we're not really denying ourselves, we're not facing that conflict. And so we're not really trying. And so there's two options. Either we have a, a tolerance to sin and we, our hearts are worn down like sandpaper. It's just, it's just, you can't, it's numb. It's like a callus. You can't feel. Or 
we don't believe we're, we're slaves um, because we just really haven't been trying. And the worst kind of slave is the one who thinks they're not a slave. Because you think you're in control, but you continually go to that thing. And the only way, every 12-step program begins with the same first step, which is what? Is to admit you have a problem, which is to realize that you are powerless. Anybody who says, I am in control, I am, I, I am empowered, I can do what I, you, you, it's the worst kind of slave. You have to realize that you're powerless without help. That you, remember Cain's problem? He didn't reach out to God for help. God asked, God said, sin's crouching at your door, it desires to have you, Cain. I'm here, do you need to talk? Cain, nothing. Next sentence, Brother Abel, let's go out into the field, right? Premeditated, it's how bad did it really get? We gotta bring each other into our lives no matter how black or disgusting or awful. We're not gonna judge each other. We're not gonna put each other down. We're not gonna say, what kind of person are you? We've gotta be honest, we've gotta be real, we've gotta accept each other because we all are powerless. And we all need help. And we all don't have it figured out. And the sooner we realize that, the sooner we realize the state of our slavery, we can look at a ladder. Frederick Douglass said there's no ladder, but not for Christians. There is a ladder from which to crawl out. There is a way. And Paul ends his Roman 7 uh, diatribe with that, right? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? Praise God for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because... The one thing, and I want to I close out with our response. On, our response, once we realize that we are powerless and that we are enslaved, no matter whether it's a very obvious sort of active sin or God's just been on the periphery of our life. Mm. We've just been keeping him kind of in the corner. The one thing to not do is to remove the sin and then replace it with another sin. Yeah. Pretty common. Yeah. I no longer... You know, watch explicit movies. Instead, I listen to explicit music. You know, like, oh, it's sort of a step up. Or I no longer talk down to people. Or I no longer am bitter. But instead, I just try to fill that with, with kind of saying nice things about, each other, about somebody else. But it's all fake. So we can't just, like, replace one evil with another. Yeah. We've got to remove the sin but replace that sin with God. There's only one way to do that. Because it is, it's not easy. But here's the thing. We've, we crave sin. We crave sin because of the passion involved. We're like, we look at a, an affair and we go, oh, that would be so awesome. We look at a flirtatious at work. It would be so cool to feel accepted. We look at, at we think about saying something to, to put down, we, to put down our spouse. We think about in, our independence. Like I have my time uh, all the time. Like every night of the week is mine to be able to do what I want. I'm going to go travel. I'm a single person. I'm un, you know, beheld to no one. Like even those things of independence and all those sins uh, put us at a risk of not being able to see the state of our slavery. But we've got to replace. There's a craving. There's an attraction. And I think the problem I have with, uh, with you people is... I'm just kidding. Um, I, think the, I think it's important to have a, 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 the royal we, right? I think our problem... You go, oh, now you can say something. Go ahead, go ahead. Our problem, yes. I think our problem is that we can kind of have this, like, this craving toward these uh, sins of like, wow. And then we look at God and go, oh, isn't that nice? God, he's nice and he's really there for me. And 
Uh, you know, like, I think he loves me and he died for me and I should go to heaven. And it's just a shame. Like, we need to crave God with the same passion that we do with, with sin because sin cannot, cannot bring the freedom, but God can bring the freedom. God can. We're actually going to sing a song to close out where it says his mercies are new every morning. Every other sin gets old. You got to up the dosage. You got to find new creative ways to enslave yourself. God's mercies are new every morning. And here's how we do it. You want to know how? Here's how we do it. It's, we're people and we connect in a certain way with each other. The one way to not do it, the one way to probably not uh, create, let's say you're a parent, the one way to probably not really have that time with your son maybe to really connect is to say, hey son, maybe he's eight. You say, hey son, next Monday uh, night from eight to 8.30, we're gonna sit down and if you can share kind of with me your inner fears and, and reluctances and greatest hopes in the world, and then kind of talk about, be vulnerable with me, and then I'll put my arm around you, and I'll console you, and we'll kind of cry and pray together, and then we'll all be better for it. Next uh, Monday, 8, th- 8 to 8.30, can you do that, eight-year-old son? Like, that would, that would, and that's not the way it works in really having a relationship with a kid. The only way to really do it is to, if you're a parent, do your work out in the open near the kids. Do the taxes out in the open near the kids. Do your stuff near the kids. Actually have quantity, have the quantity there so when the quality presents itself, you're available. Because when you're out doing your work and you, you never know when your son's going to come up and say, Dad, I'm scared. When your daughter's going to come up, you never know when she's going to come up and say, I'm angry. But if you have the quantity, if you have the consistent quantity, because every morning you're not going to have this, this tear fest with God where your heart is, is rended and moved and you're like, I want to write a new original song. Like you're not going to have that every day with God. But if you have the quantity with God, there will be those beautiful moments where you can say, God, I'm afraid. God, I'm scared. Where you can be able to connect with God. And then you begin to get to a place where you're not saying, man, if only I had this sin, you'd be saying, man, if only I had God. If only I knew God deeper, if only I knew God better, if only I connected with God in a different way. And you actually find that you crave God. And that's freedom. If your marriage doesn't go the way you want, if you crave God, if your, your boss lays you off in a horrible, wrongful termination, but you crave God. If, you're, if, if, if evangelizing is not going well, none of your friends are becoming disciples, but you crave God. If your grades aren't as good as they need to be, if your relationship with your parents is not strong, but you crave God, it's freedom. All these things that happen around us, they will not, we will not be enslaved to them. But if we strive to really crave and love God, uh, it'll all be dissipated into the, into the atmosphere. I want to close out with this, uh, with this thought. So I talked about removing and replacing. Uh, I talked about replacing, but also I need to mention removing. Sometimes I think the best way to be able to know what am I enslaved to? Maybe you're, maybe you're not sure. What am I enslaved to? I don't know. You threw out some ideas, but none of them are really hitting me. Uh, how do you know if someone's an alcoholic at, at dinner? Right? Let's say everyone has wine. It's not when they have the wine that you know if somebody's an alcoholic. It's when you take away the wine, you know if somebody's an alcoholic. See their response. And so you can know if you're enslaved to something by taking it away. So when you think of, so I would, so I want to encourage, I want to impose a a church-wide fast, but you pick what it is. It could be social media. I'll look look over here. It could be social media. It could be, it could be food, right? Maybe you feel like you've just been like relying too much on food. It could be, I mean, it could be even 
some good things, right? Maybe it's like I want to fast uh, right from, um, I don't know, I exercise way too much and I'm, I'm way too invested in my appearance. I don't know, but find that thing and remove it and see how you deal with it. Remove that thing and a fast is all about replacing it. So I want to encourage you, replace it with God. If it's food, instead of eating, don't just sit there or don't replace it with Netflix. If it's food, instead of eating, pray, right? Okay, if it's social media, instead of checking Twitter, read your Bible. If it's uh, television, if it's sports, instead of watching the game, uh, pray with your wife. You know what I mean? So replace it with God. See how it goes, but it's kind of like a discipline. We discipline our own selves to make sure, hold on, what am I a slave to? We might find that we have some, we're enslaved to a few more things than we realize. And uh, share with people what we find. So I want to encourage this church, we've got to first realize that we are not in control. We are powerless. But the beautiful thing is, is that we don't have to be in control. All we have to do is crave the one who is in control and crave the one who can provide freedom for all of us. Let's remove, let's replace Uh, Let's not get worn down and let's crave Jesus Christ, our Lord. As we stand up for this final song, we're going to sing the steadfast love of the Lord uh, never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. So let's go ahead and stand for a final song and then we'll break up into our small groups.